Thank you. It's good to be here this morning. It's an honor to be here. Uh, we met your pastor, Pastor Moore, 36 years ago. Right? Now, he doesn't look that old, does he? But uh, we met him 36 years ago in the church that we're pastoring now. And um, we were saved under his ministry. We'll tell you the story about that tonight, how we actually got saved. But we've always been thankful that a man came uh, from the north, from the north down to uh, Tala uh, to preach the gospel. So thank you, brother, for that. Right? Luke chapter 15 this morning. Luke 15. And by the way, do, do invite people to come out and hear the gospel. We're going to be going through a gospel. We're, we're going to try this week to look at the gospel as Jesus preached it and as he interacted with people. Tomorrow night we're going to look at the blind man in John chapter 9. And I think it's a fascinating story, just a beautiful, sweet story of a simple man that comes to Jesus and gets saved. But I encourage you, listen, invite people out. Uh, people, people want to hear the gospel. They, they don't know they want to hear the gospel unless you and I invite them. But they want to hear the gospel. Uh, they have a need in their lives that absolutely nothing can meet except the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you invite them out to hear the gospel, you give them the opportunity to actually hear the message uh, that changes lives. And it changed your life. It's changed my life. You know what? God is still changing lives. Right? So invite somebody out uh, to hear the gospel. Luke chapter 15 uh, this morning, though. <clears throat> We're going to look at the story of the prodigal son. Very familiar story to most of you. And um, <clears throat> in, in Luke chapter 15, Jesus is under pressure. He is all the way through his ministry. He's under pressure. From the word go, uh, he is under pressure. He is under pressure in Luke chapter 15 because he has been eating with sinners and tax gatherers and he's been, he's been consorting with all the wrong sort of people. And the Pharisees are upset. Uh, and in the beginning of the chapter, chapter verse 1, it says, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and the sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. Remember, the Pharisees, we regard them as hypocrites, and they were. But in their own minds and in their circle, that's not what they were. They were the good guys. Right? They were the good people. What they did was they, they kept the commandments, they um, worshipped, they uh, gave tithes. They, they, listen, they were good people in their minds. Right? And they had a way that they did it. And Jesus was messing it all up. Everything he did uh, went across what they wanted. He just kept messing it all up. And uh, they couldn't take that. And so they're, they're, they're going out. Ultimately, they're going to crucify him on the head of it. But the thing about Jesus is that though these people hate him and they're against him, he never hates them. Not even when they crucify him. In fact, what he does is he keeps reaching out to them. And the story of the prodigal son, uh, is, it, it, there's, there's three stories in, in this chapter. We're not going to look at the other two. Uh, but but he, he tells them, they're, they're, they're complaining about the fact that he's with the wrong kind of people, that the publicans and the sinners are coming to uh, hear him, when he should be focusing his ministry on them and doing it their way. And so he gives them three stories. He talks to them about lost sheep and how important the one lost sheep is. And then he talks to them about a lost coin. And then he talks to them about a prodigal son. And this is one of the most fascinating stories, not just in the Bible, but it's one of the most fascinating stories that you'll read anywhere. And Jesus is a master storyteller. In fact, Charles Dickens was once asked uh, what he thought was the best short story that was ever written. And he thought for a moment, and he said, the story of the prodigal son. It's an absolutely 
magnificent story. Here's what it does for you. It tells you about the prodigal, okay? And we all, we all understand the prodigal. Somebody who just wastes their life, wastes their money, wastes everything. And it tells you about a father's love that is just ridiculous. You know, we, we, we look at that story and we, we just can't get our heads around uh, this idea of a father's love. And t- then it tells you about an older brother. Uh, who, who is, is not interested and doesn't want to come to, to this party at all. And then it ends. But it doesn't really end. There is no end to the story. I want to write the end of the story. I want to write the end of the story. I want to say this, okay? And the older brother said, Yes, Father, you are right. I'm so sorry uh, that I didn't see it your way. I'm coming into the party now. And they all went into the party and lived happily ever after. It doesn't end. What Jesus does is he leaves it hanging. And the reason he leaves it hanging is because he's talking to the Pharisees. And the response, the end of the story is whatever they're going to do with it. If they're going to come to the party, if they're going to come, then you know that's the end of the story for them. And if they don't, and most of them didn't, we know, because we know what happened afterwards, then that's the end of the story for them. But it's a magnificent story. So we're going to look at it. We're going to look at three different, three different parts in this play. We're going to look at this prodigal. We're going to look at the father, uh, the heart of the father. And we're going to look uh, at this older brother. And we're going to see where we fit into the story. How it actually applies to each one of us. Because I think each one of us are in the story somewhere. And I think sometimes we're in the story in the wrong place and we need to shift places. And you know what? That's a good thing. That's what Jesus is about. He's about actually tell, helping us to shift All right, so let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll read. We're going to read uh, from Luke 15, uh, verse um, 11, down to the end of the chapter. Father in heaven, would you bless us now as we look to your word? Lord, we are not able. I'm not able to preach this word, and these people are not able to hear this word. And Lord, uh, we're not able to see anybody saved, or we can't do it. It's not in our power. But Lord, we're gathering today to state that our purpose, our heart, our passion is, Lord, to see people come to you and come to know you. Now, Lord, would you bless? Would you pour out a blessing? Uh, Would you let your presence be felt in this room so that, Lord, we would see uh, our hearts turn to you, Lord, in a greater way. And, Lord, that we would see lost people turn to you. Oh, Lord, we look to you. We depend upon you. Would you do it, Lord? For we can't. In Jesus' name, amen. So Luke 15 and verse 11. Uh, And he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of the goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks which the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? And I will arise uh, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he rose and came to his father, and when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But 
The father said unto his servants, Bring forth the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it. And let us eat and be merry, for this my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost, and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of his servants, and he asked, What these things meant? And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed a fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry, and would not go in, therefore uh, came his father out and treated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years I do serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid, that I might make merry with my friends. And as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. And you will note that it's not finished, that it's still hanging there because the Lord Jesus intended it to hang there. Now, uh, we have, first of all, a rebellious son. Right? <clears throat> this, this younger son is living in the home. He's maybe working on the farm. We don't, know, we don't know exactly what he was doing, but he hated it. And he wanted a way. And he imagined he was going to have a great life, that he was going to move on. He was going to have lots of fun. He was going to do everything he wanted to do. He, he had a heart to be far away. You know, sometimes a Christian has a heart like that too, don't they? You can be here in the assembly, you can be meeting, you can be around, but your heart longs for something else. And that's where this boy was. He was, he was living with his father's home, and, and, and he wanted away. So he makes an outrageous demand. It is really an outrageous demand. Well, what he does is, uh, he, he, he wants the money he's going to get when his father dies. He wants the inheritance that will be his in the end. He's treating his father as though he were dead already. He wanted his father's stuff, but not the father. And the father, perhaps realizing that he couldn't keep him, there was no way he could keep this boy uh, in the home, uh, he he does what he asks. And it must have been great expense. Nobody has that kind of money lying around the place. But at great expense to himself, he, he, he does what this son asked him, and he gives it to him. And so he leaves with pocketfuls of cash on his way to what he thinks is going to be a better life. Far away, so that he can indulge his sinful desires. <clears throat> He's going to have a great time. He's going to have a fabulous time. He's got all the money he needs now and he's going to enjoy life. And sometimes that's what we think. Sometimes we think, you know what? The Lord Jesus Christ and the church and, and our homes and our families are, are holding us back from enjoying life. And he got the money, so, so, so he went, but then he wasted the money. That's what the prodigal means. Uh, uh, he wasted the money. He just took it and he spent it foolishly in all kinds of directions. Uh, <clears throat> the elder brother says it was with harlots, but he didn't just live off the money. He used it to fuel his rebellion. He was going to enjoy himself, and he did. And perhaps you identify with the story. Perhaps you're the son. Uh, you thought you knew better. You, you set out to enjoy all the world had to offer. Uh, <clears throat> The, the things that you believe God was holding back from you. 
You set out to enjoy those things. I was raised in a religion. I was raised Roman Catholic. Uh, we'll talk to you about that tonight, right? But when I was raised, I, my understanding of God, and it was a false understanding, my understanding of God was that God wanted to spoil all my fun. I wanted to have fun, and God just wanted to get in the way of all that. And sometimes I talk to Christian young people, and they're right there. It's a different thing entirely from Catholicism, but they're in that place where they believe God just wants us. God just wants to take all the fun out of life, wants to suck all the joy out of life. And they get that idea in their mind, so they want to run away from something that's not true. That's not what God wants to do in your life. And sometimes they do. Sometimes it's just in their heart. Sometimes they actually do it. But maybe um, you identify with the father, and you know the pain of rejection. You have a child out there who's... Listen, they've taken what they could and they've gone and they're looking to enjoy it. And and that's probably one of the hardest pains that you can face when your own flesh turns and walks away. But that's what this boy does. He gets the money and he runs. He's he's going to have fun. He's He's going to make his life count his way. But then reality has a way of breaking into our notions and ideas, doesn't it? And he goes and he spends all the money. And pretty soon, the money's all spent. And not only that, but there's a famine in the land. So now, he doesn't have his father. He doesn't have his money. And he's in a place where he has no food. So he takes a job feeding pigs. Now, I don't know if you've ever fed pigs. I I remember in my grandmother's house, there were pigs. There were always pigs. Pigs pigs are a tremendous way of turning uh, rubbish into food. That, that, that's, that's what they do, right? <clears throat> but my, my granny always had a bucket for slops in the house, and everything went in it. I mean, the, the tea bags, the, off the plates, the potato peelings, everything went into that. And then, <clears throat> when it was time to feed the pigs, uh, you would take this bucket, you would put some meal into it, and you would take it and you would slop it into where the pigs were. And it was sloppy. And the pigs were already sloppy. You know what? Never once did I have the idea, I wonder what pig food tastes like. I wonder should I stick my finger in it and actually taste it. Never, never once did I think that. Right? But this boy comes to a place in his life where he's looking at the pig food and he's saying, I'd happily eat that. I'm so hungry. I would, I would happily eat that. Do you realize that Though the world will tell you that there's everything out there for you to enjoy, when you get out there, there's nothing. You and I were made for a relationship with God. We were made to relate to the Lord Jesus Christ. We were made to enjoy Him. And apart from Him, nothing else will satisfy. Now, don't get it wrong. Uh, it's not church and rituals and regulations that, uh, that, that are the center of our lives. It's the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's coming to that place where we're enjoying him. And don't be fooled into thinking that there's anything in this world that can satisfy you apart from him. Only the Lord Jesus can do it. But then he has a change of mind. We call it repentance. He looks at the situation, he looks and he says, you know what... <clears throat> Hold on a minute, what am I doing? Hang on just one minute. Here I am, wanting to eat pig food, and the servants in my father's house have food enough to eat and plenty. I I know, I'm going to go back. 
I'm going to say, Dad, listen, I got it wrong. I'm sorry. Listen, I'm not worthy to be your son anymore. That's fine. Don't make me your son anymore. Just, just listen. Let me be one of your servants and I'll eat. And, and so he starts the way back. He starts coming back uh, to his father. Uh, he, he realizes he's left the place of blessing and he's going back to it. Do you know there are places of blessing in our lives? And those places are important places. There are places where God says, I'm going to take care of you there. And we need to recognize that now. Remember Elijah? God said, I've, sent, I, I've prepared the ravens to feed you there. One spot. <clears throat> Elijah could have gone anywhere else in the land and he wouldn't have been fed because God said, there. And there are places where God feeds us and God takes care of us. And we need to recognize that. And this boy at least had the sense to turn around and say, yeah, I'll go back. Now, <clears throat> now understand this. It wasn't remorse for his rebellion that moved him. It wasn't regret for his dissipation. Uh, That didn't rattle his conscience. The humiliation of tending swine didn't trigger his Jewish scruples. But the realization that the pigs enjoyed a superior lifestyle to his own sparked a moment of clarity. Uh, As one sage wrote, pain plants the flag of reality in the fortress of a rebel's heart. And that's what happens. And that's what brings him back. It's not this great grandiose... You know what, my father, what I did to my father is wrong. It's terrible. I shouldn't have done that. I need to go back and make things right. It's, I'm hungry. I need food. And there's food back there that starts him moving. And, and that's what brings him back to the father. By the way, it's important that you let your prodigal suffer. It's hard for a parent. But it's important that you actually let your prodigal Suffer because uh, there's nothing like uh, pain to actually bring someone to their senses. And sometimes, as parents, what we want to do is we want to we want to make it easy. We want to we want to go the extra mile. We we want to we want to insulate them. We want to put cotton wool around them. We we want to make sure that they don't hurt and they don't suffer. Sometimes they need to suffer, and that's hard as a parent. Sometimes that's exactly what you need to let happen uh, to them. But he comes back to the father, and I don't know what was in his mind. I don't know what he expected when he came back to the father. What would you be expecting if he came back in that situation? I mean, I, I, I certainly wouldn't be expecting the reception that he got. I, I don't think he was respect, expecting that reception. Remember, it, it, it appears to me that he's coming along the road and, he, and he's almost rehearsing. Okay, okay, I got it wrong, Dad. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm hungry. I'm not worthy to be your son. Will you just let me be a servant? It seems to me that that's what he's got in his mind. He's, he's rehearsing all this and he's on his way back. And he comes back and the father responds to him. In an incredible way. Now let me read it for you again. Luke 15, 20 through 24. And he rose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Now remember the purpose of the story. The purpose of the story is to show why Jesus is spending time with publicans and sinners. That's the purpose of the story. What Jesus is telling us here is his heart for the lost, the Father's heart for the lost. He's expressing to us the heart of the Father. So so catch it, understand it, right? And he had compassion and he ran and he fell on his neck and he kissed him. Now, you and I look at that and we think, yeah, okay, well, he ran. Listen, Middle Eastern men didn't run. Women ran. But you didn't run unless you were in an absolute emergency. 
This man gathered himself up and he runs. And not only does he humiliate himself, I mean, this, he, he's obviously a wealthy man. Not only does he humiliate himself by doing that, but he falls on this son's neck. Now, remember where the son has been? This, this son is not smelling so good. This, this son has been uh, to the pig pen. Uh, he's done... <clears throat> All the, the wicked things, hey, he's been around the pigs, uh, he's no money, he's broke, and he comes, and his father comes, and he just throws his arms around him. And he kisses him, and, and we look at it as though he kissed him, but he, really to translate it, I mean, he kissed the face off him. He, listen, he just, he, he just lost it. He was just so thrilled to see this son that he just lost it. It's kind of ridiculous. Let me give you an illustration of how ridiculous it is. My, my brother Liam. Um, everybody, every, almost every family has that one who's out there, who has it said before uh, they've thought about it, who, who has done, the one that's gotten into all the scrapes. Heart of gold, would do absolutely anything for you, but spent his school life definitely in trouble. Well, well, Liam was in the first communion class, right? Big deal in a Catholic family, right? He's in the first communion class, and um, uh, he's being prepared for his first communion and um, first communion is very important it's, uh, uh, for kids it's about new clothes and a lot of money <clears throat> like, but for the parents it's, it's a rite of passage it's, it's very important anyway, so Liam is, in, Liam is in the first communion class and he gets kicked out of it and gets sent home right? this is shame beyond shame for a family and so uh, my family are working out how, how did you manage to get kicked out of the, uh, the um, first communion class and, and Liam says "Well, he says that, look uh, the, the, the nun was telling a story about this boy uh, who ran away from home and he spent all his money and wasted all his money and, um, and then he came home and she said uh, that, that his father came and kissed him and um, hugged him and gave him, killed a fatted calf and gave him a ring and gave him a robe. And said, and listen, that wouldn't happen. You would kick the rear end off me, man, wouldn't you? And that's what he had said in, said in school, that, that, that his mother would kick the rear end off him if he did something like that. Now, tell that story for this purpose, right? You know, he's right. Most parents would. Most parents would not exactly be overjoyed uh, to see this kid come back who had done all this wrong. And yet this father has. This is our heavenly father we're talking about here. This is a love that goes way beyond human love. This is something that is far deeper than anything that you and I can imagine. This is a God that loves us in a way that we really don't get. This is a God who reaches out far beyond. And his love is poured out upon us even though we've gotten it wrong. Don't you know that love? That's the love that drew you in, isn't it? That's the love that drew you to be saved. That's the love he has for all those people out there, by the way. All of them. He, he, he loves them. He has a heart. He has a passion for them. And, you know, <clears throat> if I'm the father in that picture, here's what I'm doing. I'm saying, okay, so you came to your senses, did you? All right. <clears throat> you finally got, came around. You finally saw how stupid you were. Well, come on. How about you can feed the pigs here for a while until uh, we see how you turn out. That, that's going to be me. But that's not our Heavenly Father. At the first signs of repentance, and really, you know what? It's not even a great repentance. At the first sign of repentance, the father runs to him. He's been waiting for him. He's been longing for him. 
Do you know there are people out there today that God is longing for? Some of the things that God does just don't make sense to me as a human being. How can a God who is perfectly sufficient within himself long for weak, foolish, sinful human beings? But he does. He longs for them. So you know what happens? When you and I get involved in bringing that to him, what we're doing is we're seeing the Father's heart and doing something to please him as we seek to draw them in, as we seek to bring them to him. And, you know, sometimes though, we don't have his heart, do we? Sometimes we look at people and, and, and in, in their wickedness and in their sin, we kind of want to stay, them to stay away from us. This guy didn't smell good. You know, I think the father giving him a new set of, set of clothes was not just about um, uh, he wanted to give him clothes. I think he needed something else on him because he smelled. And you know, when God does a work and brings lost people in, it's kind of messy. Because they don't come with everything in line and everything in order in their lives. They messed up. They've messed up in the world out there and, and they come in a mess. And you know what? You and I, if we're going to help them, we have to have the Father's heart. We have to have that love. Because what they're going to see is they're not going to see him. They're not going to see the Father. They see us. And we have to have a heart that can overlook the smell and overlook the mess and reach out to them so that God can do a work in them and change them. But we have to have the Father's heart. And then there's the other son. And the other son is upset, and reasonably so, as far as he's concerned. Here's what he's thinking. He's thinking, you know, hang on a minute. You know, my father killed a fatted calf. He put on new clothes on him. He threw a party for him. He's never done that for me. And, I, and I've been good. I've done all the right things. I kept my nose clean. I never, I never wasted his money. But till the elder son doesn't have the father's heart, he really doesn't care about the father's heart. He doesn't care about the pain the father has been through. Uh, you know, he's just like the sinful son. He's just different. Different angle. And you know that Jesus actually spent more time dealing with self-righteousness than he did with sins that we would say, that's a big ticket item. <clears throat> need to get that dealt with. Now, he never condoned sin. Jesus was no pushover. When he dealt with sin, he dealt with it very firmly and very clearly. But he spent more time dealing with self-righteousness. He saw that as being a bigger issue because what he's facing is these people who think that they are the standard and what they're doing is they're rejecting even him because he doesn't meet their standard. You know, I think I've been like that from time to time in my life. I think I've been like the elder brother where I felt I deserved better. I'm a pastor. I've preached thousands of sermons. I've, 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 I've lived right and done right. And it's easy for us to get drawn into the place where we look at the lost people and think, well, we deserve better than them. You see, like the Pharisees, we're the good guys and they're the bad guys. But there are no good guys and bad guys. There's one good guy, Jesus. And there's a whole bunch of bad guys, us and them, that have come to him and received of his goodness. And we forget, don't we? We forget so easily that, you know, 
we may not have done the things that they've done, but you know what the reality is? We've been out there in the world. We've, we've done our own thing. We've, we've each needed to be saved. So that means we've each gone our own way and done our own thing. And you see, what we see from the Father here is outrageous grace. It's a grace that just blows us away, so to speak. It's, my brother Liam had it right. That, that, that's ridiculous. That wouldn't happen. But it did. And it does. And he received you and I with that outrageous grace. And he drew us to himself. And he saved us. And he has a heart out there. He has a heart that's just like that to reach out to them. And he wants us to have that same heart too. And here's, here's the telling thing for us. When we don't have his heart for lost people, we're kind of like the older brother. Because what we're saying is, no, we're good. But we're not having his heart. And the older brother didn't enter into his heart. And Jesus left it open because he was saying to them, now listen, okay, I want you to come around to sing it my way. I want you to come around to the place where you understand and where you receive me as your Savior. And we know many of them didn't. So let me ask you as we close, who do you identify with here? Do you identify with the prodigal? Maybe nobody around you knows. But in your heart, that's who you are. You haven't made the move yet. You're afraid to. But listen, if you've got the chance... You'd be gone. Let me tell you, there's nothing out there. Absolutely nothing out there. There's nothing that can satisfy you out there. The Lord Jesus Christ will satisfy you. Nothing else will. And you know, if you're a prodigal in your heart, maybe, maybe you're saved, maybe you've never been saved, you need to run to him. You need to come back. Why don't you come back before you go? Wouldn't that, wouldn't that make more sense? Come back before you go. Come, come to Jesus and, and get things straightened out. Maybe, maybe you, you, you identify with the elder brother. You know, you, look, you, 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 you live in a world where you, where you seek to do right, you seek to keep things right, and you seek to, seek to have things on the, on the, in the right place in your life. And really, the lost people out there, they're not where you want to be. But maybe... And this is where we all need to be. We need to identify with the love of the Father. You see, here's the thing. We can't be God, obviously. But you know what? We can be channels. We can be channels of His love in a broken world. We can be people that can reach out to lost people and touch them with His love. Not, not, not with a curled lip and folded arms, the way we'd like to sometimes. But with his love, they're broken. You know what? He knows they're broken. He loves them anyway. He, he wants to fix them. But he wants to use you and I to reach out to them. He wants to use you and I as his hands, as his voice, to reach out. Not, not to make them like us, but to show them his love. He'll do what needs to be done in their lives. He wants us to reach out to them with that love and he wants to see them drawn to him. So where do you stand today? Are we willing to let the Lord do a work in our hearts? Because when he does a work in our hearts, then he's able to do a work through us. 
Let's stand for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the story of the prodigal. Thank you, Lord, that you are a God that loved us when we so desperately needed. Now, Lord, would you meet the need of each heart here this morning. Lord, move in our hearts. That one that doesn't know you, Lord. Oh, Lord, may they run to you today. That one that's pulling away, Lord, may they run to you today. And Lord, give each one of us your heart, your love for lost people, that we might reach out to them. In Jesus' name, amen.